Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. On Saturday, at least 13 tornadoes touched down in the Nashville area. The hardest hit areas were Clarksville, Madison, and Hendersonville. WPLN reports that three people, two adults and one child, were killed by the storm in Clarksville and that many are without power. On top of all that, freezing temperatures are complicating recovery efforts in the impacted areas. City officials and NES are working to restore power as we speak. And there are plenty of people who are still in the need of help. WPLN's Rachel Iacovoni and Alexis Marshall has compiled a list of organizations that offer help. You can find that at WPLN.org. Now, if you're in the need of help, you can call the Red Cross at 1-800-733-2767. That's 1-800-733-2767. You can also contact NashvilleResponds.com to ask for help. The city of Clarksville has set up a hotline to coordinate all tornado recovery efforts at 931-245-2988. That's 931-245-2988. Now here with me now is WPLN reporter Blaze Ganey. He joins us to give us an update on the damage and the status of recovery efforts. Blaze, thanks so much for being here, man. Yeah, not a problem. Okay, so you were out there covering the storm as it happened. Tell me, where did you go and what did you see? Yeah, so I went to Northeast High School in Clarksville. It's being used as a Red Cross shelter right now. And what basically what I saw there was just really amazing. A, a lot of people helping. Actually, as soon as I got there, there was a lady walking in with bags of clothes. I actually helped her in uh, with some of the bags. I got there. There were tables uh, lined up with food. This is obviously in the cafeteria of a school. They had some of the uh, lunch people cooking food there mm-hmm. also. So it was enough food uh, for anybody to come and eat. They had a, a lot of clothes there. And they also had toys for kids that, you know, were probably bored, um, not, you know, being out of their house. Uh, a lot of the people I spoke to were just, um, not just, but they were without power. Um, they didn't have much damage to their home. And then some other people I spoke to were forced out of their home due to nearby gas leaks. Mm. What what was going through your mind as you were there talking to folks? Yeah, it was just really rough to see. You know, I'm from Florida. I've been to a lot of shelters um, in the past reporting on um, after hurricanes. Um, but this was just different, you know, hearing some of the stories of people, you know, that had to shelter. Their houses were shaking, windows, uh, you know, blown in. It was just uh, really crazy, but it was a lot of it was, you know, I found out it was a military city, essentially Mm -hmm. a lot of people there live in the military. So I think a lot of them seemed, you know, like, hey, this is a challenge. Um, They're used to being on like a team oriented thing. So they kind of felt like we're going to build up. We know we are. So we're, we're fine, which that was great to hear. Now, I know you have a clip of someone you talked to. Can you set this up for us? Yeah. Yeah. So so many of people I spoke to, um, like I said, talked about their military background and how they were recovered. But there was a family there, uh, a mother and a high school girl, and they lived off of Tiny Town Road, which is one of the areas that was badly hit. Um, I went there and I, I ended up seeing them uh, taking things out of their home, which had a big spray-painted X on the door, meaning you know they couldn't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. I could look through their home and see that the roof was just blown away. Um, and this is a clip of the, the high school girl talking about you know what what took place. And we were sitting there and then all of a sudden the lights start flickering and the next thing you know you hear a big 
boom, and the house starts shaking. You hear um, nothing but wind. My cat, he was skittering across the, um, he skittered across the kitchen. We don't know where he's at anymore. Um, and we had to, we, we had to hurry into the restroom. Um, next thing we know, roofs, the roof's torn off. We can see the light through the vents, and I'm, sit, I'm sitting on call with a friend. She was in the next neighborhood over. She's completely fine. She was praying for us over the phone. We were talking. It, 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 a lot happened really quickly. It was, it was scary. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty intense. Um, wow, what else did you see when you were out? You know, I wanted to add that she said that all, everything she just described, she said it felt like it only took 10 to 15 seconds, which is just crazy that mm. it can blow through that fast. Um, but other things I saw just heading out to that community were light poles, you know, leaning over the roads, uh, sort of like, you know, um, canopy roads almost is what it made it seem like. Um, a lot of businesses, homes with roofs blown off. I saw one wall just completely down onto the cars in the parking lot. It was a lot of cars with shattered windows, um, just you know, and you could tell that they didn't park their car the way that they were mm -hmm. when I saw them. It was just devastating. Now, Shawnee Mount, the kitchen manager at Rock and Roll Sushi in Clarksville, she called her managers because she had trouble getting staff in, then asked if she could just close down and go out and hand out free rice. Let's listen to what she had to say. We got about three or four pans of rice right here, and we got more on the way. So we'll be out here as long as we can be, and we plan on being out here for the next couple days until we know everybody has at least somewhere to go. You know, Blaze, talk to me a little bit more about how people were reacting at that time. Did you find, like, other businesses who jumped into immediate recovery and assistance mode? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it was, like I said earlier, it was people that were coming by to the shelter to donate um, some businesses. Starbucks actually donated a bunch of food and, and drinks, obviously. Um, the, the school was, I mean, giving out their lunches uh, that was meant for kids on Monday morning. But uh, with schools closed, they were giving them out to families. Um, there were just a lot of businesses helping out, and I, I know um, a lot of that parking lot where Shawnee was at was actually a daycare, and the daycare was saying, like, hey, we have, you know, feel free to come use this parking lot. They had people set up with grills there, cooking, all types of food. It was just really amazing to see sort of the camaraderie um, of the people who were not at, directly impacted helping out those who were. Let's listen to a clip of some of the activity that happened in that parking lot. That's what it's about, helping each other. So make Clarksville strong. So yeah, now that we were here and they were like, do you care if we set up another grill? And I was like, come on, the more the merrier. So yeah, we're just all doing it together. That was Bridget Stanfield, the owner of Grandma's House of Preschool and Child Development. I understand like the Buffalo Soldiers Motorcycle Club was out there as well helping folks. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool to see. Um, you know, they're, they're not a, they're, they have the most African-Americans in this uh, motorcycle club. I learned they are out in Germany, Hawaii, all over the U.S. And I was talking with them. They brought out um, candy, Gatorades, um, sausages, burgers. I mean, it was just great um, talking with them and just seeing, you know, them helping out the community. They weren't directly impacted, most of them. But like I said, once again, they drove down they they saw the damage across the street it when and they saw grills going and they just walked up and asked hey can we set up here and as you heard from Stanfield she was more than happy to allow people to use that as long as it was you know obviously helping out the community what were the spirits like of the people who were seeking assistance and being helped i mean i understand they are in an immediate shock because this horrific devastating event just happened to them in their homes 
But did you talk to anybody? Did they give you a sense of optimism? You know, honestly, I think I, I, I don't know if I just got there so so after so close to when it happened, but a lot of people did seem in shock and just distraught, not knowing where they were going to go. Um, some people had a plan, you know, we're going to go stay with relatives. But I spoke to one lady and she just moved down here in September from Illinois with her two little girls. And she really had no place to go. She said her friends had to send her some money down to so that she could stay in a hotel Um uh, because she has dogs and I guess her dogs weren't allowed at the shelter. And, you know, I was just, it was just like, wow, this is real life. Uh, and, and she's going to, you know, obviously I'm pretty sure she'll figure it out eventually. There's a lot of assistance going, but it was just hard to see that um, right away. So I will say there was some people that were optimistic, but definitely some people that were just sort of distorted. Yeah. You know, there's really no telling of the extent of the damage that has happened to people's homes and businesses and infrastructure of all these areas. Have you spoken to any officials about the estimated damage? So I did speak to some officials, but they also just didn't have answers at this time. I, we know for sure that 250 structures at this point are uninhabitable. I'd imagine that number could increase. Um, and then also with the the homes that are still standing, they may have some structural damage, as, as you mentioned. Um, that's why some of those people were put out, along with the gas leaks near their homes. So the damage, I would imagine, is, is going to be very significant. I've already know I know that Governor Lee has already reached out to um, FEMA to see about getting assistance as soon as possible. Obviously, Red Cross is there on the ground to help people as well. They can give out sort of cash cards to help people get through until FEMA can step in. Um, so there will definitely be um, some necessary things to come next. And I spoke to a state representative out in that area, and he said that he expects during um, this general session that starts in January that there will be some focus on trying to make sure that the state provides some funding as well through TEMA. Have you gotten a word about other, any other recovery efforts across the area? I haven't, but I know I know we do have that website, um, our, our article up uh, by Rachel um, with all the information about who's helping out. I know that U-Haul is now helping people um, getting, you know, getting trucks so that they can remove what is left uh, to recover from their homes. Now, if you need the, the information that Blaze just mentioned from our colleague Rachel Iacovoni, you can go to WPLN.org and get that there. You know, I'm thinking about this. People, it's cold outside. People have no power. And that's not just a danger for folks without heat, but it kind of disrupts the efforts to bring power back. And we got word, and NES is holding a press conference at 1 p.m. to give an update on how long it will take to get power reconnected. Blaze, are you going to pay attention to that? And what are you going to be listening for? Yeah, the newsroom is definitely looking forward to that, to see, you know, I think the biggest thing to see is just how fast the power can get back on. This is always a test um, of places when a the natural disaster happened, when there's large numbers of power outage, this is when people really rely on them to step in and get their power turned back on. So I, I, I'm hoping, on, and I've heard that it could take two to three days. Um, I think now we're on day two. So, you know, the hope is that that number that we saw starts to climb down. Mm. Now, you know, in Clarksville, two adults and one child were killed in the tornado. And there were also a lot, many other people were injured. Do you have an idea of how many people in the Nashville area were injured? In the Nashville area, I believe it was around 20, but overall, I believe um, the number is at 60 in climbing um, as they, you know, more people are reported. In fact, some injuries were so bad in Clarksville that they had to send people to Vanderbilt here. Mm. Um, so it's still not 
the, the number isn't ironed out. And a lot of these numbers I'm saying aren't ironed out because it's still, it's a developing thing. Yeah. Okay. So over the past two days, the, the WPLN newsroom really, truly, remarkably jumped into action. What have you been hearing from your other colleagues from their reporting? You know, I think the the overall theme that I've been hearing is just that, you know, in these in times like this, this is when we are needed most reporters that can get out on the ground and tell the stories of what's going on. And I know Paige went out the night of and just trying to drive to Hendersonville. So many roads were shut down, but she ended out finding, you know, finding her way there and, and talking to people. Um, Rose also had, uh, it, she was in Dixon, which is a little more rural. So she had a lot of trouble trying to find out well, where do I go? Um, cell service, not that great out there also. So I think a lot of what I'm seeing is, is sort of the same thing I'm telling you. People, communities coming together to help um, and, and also just, you know, people that are devastated that, that did have some damage to their homes. Blaze Ganey is a reporter with WPLN. You can find his and the entire newsroom's continued coverage on the effects of the tornadoes and the recovery efforts at WPLN.org. Blaze, thanks for this. And as always, my friend, thank you for your reporting. All right. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with an operator of a nonprofit in Madison whose building was severely damaged by the storm. And are you in need of help after the storm? Are you looking for help? We can point you in the right direction. So reach out to us and tweet us at This Is Nashville. And don't forget, we'll be opening up the phone lines later on in the show. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Reports are still coming in about the extent of the damage from this weekend's storms. Some folks lost their lives, some their houses, and others, they've lost their businesses. With us now is Reverend Lisa Cook from Sacred Sparks Ministry. Her nonprofit was housed in St. Luke Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Madison. It was hit by an apparent tornado on Saturday. Reverend Lisa also woke up sick this morning. She's going through a lot, and we're grateful that she's still here joining us remotely to share her experience. Reverend Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Really appreciate you being here. Now, you know, I, I watched some of the videos of the damage at the church in Madison where your nonprofit is housed. And first of all, I just want to pause and offer my heartfelt sympathy for your lost. And we have to understand nonprofit work is really grueling, even when you have everything you need, you know, seeing this, you, you must still be in shock, Reverend Lisa. That is so true. It, it is, it is tough on its best days to do this work. Um, and when things like this happen, it just feels like a lot of pile on. So I have told my friends and family that right now I just need to kind of mourn what was for a little bit and we'll get on to moving forward eventually. Uh, but right now we're very heartbroken and sad um, because there were a lot of good things going on in that building. Can you give us a sense of how some of the other folks you worked with, how they're feeling, where they're at right now? Um, luckily, they're not quite as in the hole as I am, uh, and they've been very encouraging to me. Uh, the entire, the people who volunteer with us at Sacred Sparks and Loads of Love, the people who support uh, the ministry from afar and near, near um, have all been very, very encouraging, and they believe that uh, we will come back better and bigger and stronger. Well, can you tell us? I'll get, there. I'll, get there. I'll get there too, but right now I'm just very sad. You have to take your time, like everyone. You got to take your time one day at a time. Can you can you tell us what is Sacred Sparks Ministry? Sure. 
Sacred Sparks Ministry is an outreach of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And for 10 years now, we have been uh, providing outreach and relationships and opportunities for healthy community to people in the Nashville area who experience homelessness and extreme poverty. How did you come to start this nonprofit? Oh, that's a long, long story, but uh, I got time. Yeah, it could only be God. I was I was in corporate America and um, I was looking to finish my degree for advancement in my corporate job. And I picked a school that was uh, uh, at an educational fair in our building. I worked in the Batman building downtown in Nashville. And I picked a school that happened to be faith based. I didn't realize that. And I ended up uh, attending this school to finish my undergrad and eventually joining a church in the Cumberland Presbyterian tradition, and then eventually uh, attending seminary and being ordained as a minister in that church. It's been a crazy wild ride. It's an amazing ride at that. Now, my producer says that you call this part of your journey, you say that this part of your journey is your call. Tell me, what does that mean? A call is is one of those intangible things that's really hard to explain and to put in words, but I'll do my best. It's it's that feeling that you have that you're exactly where you are and exactly doing what you need to be doing. And I can tell you um, that for 20 something years, my call was in that corporate job. That's where I was supposed to be. And that's what I was supposed to be doing. But once God entered into my life and my faith, uh, my faith life was really uh, undergirded by a community of faith. Um, I felt very disconnected from my corporate job all of a sudden and more pulled toward everything that was involving my faith. And um, eventually, eventually I felt like there was um, something to it and I needed to talk to some people. And we put together a committee who helped me discern that my call was to ordain ministry. But the way I describe my call is, you know, it. Let's, let's say there's a car and you know you have to get in that car. You cannot resist getting in that car. The only thing is you're not sure in the beginning where the car is going, but you get in anyway because you have to. Hmm. You've been running Sacred Sparks Ministry in Madison. We understand the challenges that a lot of people in Madison are facing, but tell us all why Madison needs a ministry like yours there. Madison is one of those communities that's seen an increase in the population of people who are either experiencing homelessness, uh, meaning they don't have a house to go to or they sleep in their car or they sleep on a friend's couch. Homelessness takes on many shapes and forms. It's not just someone living in the woods or under a bridge. Um, And Madison is a community that has seen an influx of people in those situations, uh, in addition to people who may have a home to live in, but are living in extreme poverty and are very food insecure for the most part. Um, I think a lot of this comes from uh, the downtown area being revitalized and East Nashville being revitalized. And as a result of that, uh, some folks just kind of get pushed to the side. And and this is one of those communities. And they've made their way to Madison. And there is a large population in need in that area. 
You all have been using St. Luke's Cumberland Presbyterian Church as a headquarters for Sacred Sparks, but tell me, how exactly were you using that building? Yeah, so uh, St. Luke is a Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and uh, the pastor there is a friend of mine. Uh, we went to seminary together for a short period of time, I believe. Um, and we were doing one of the biggest things we do at Sacred Sparks is our laundry ministry. So for eight years, the ministry has been in existence for 10 years. And for eight years, we would pick up friends experiencing homelessness or extreme poverty wherever they were. And we would take them to a laundromat in Nashville and we would clean their clothes for them for free. And while they were there, we would feed them. Whenever I gather people, I always feed them. And um, we did that for eight years, sort of um, a ministry on wheels, if you will. Mm -hmm. When COVID hit and everything kind of slowed down and then was kind of slowly opening back up, uh, God started putting on my heart that there may be a different way we could do that laundry ministry. And I talked to some people that I trust that helped me work through that again. Um, and we ended up, after a lot of thoughts and, and ideas, we ended up asking St. Luke if they could give us some space in their church. They have an amazing uh, facility there with a lot of space. Um, and we thought that we could use a room in that church to create our own laundry room. And um, yeah, that worked out beautifully. They have a big gym that our folks could could spend time in, a fellowship hall. They have a full kitchen that we could cook a full meal for people. We ate a lot of pizza on the road, mm -hmm. but once we got to St. Luke, it was really good. But about how many people so did for, I'm sorry, continue. For, so for um, three days a week in the beginning, and we had just moved to four days a week when this, when this uh, tornado happened. But for three days a week, we would bring in people every day. Uh, I had a different route every day and I would have uh, up to 25 friends uh, coming on each of those days and we would clean their clothes and they would spend about five hours with us while we did that. So we had movies going and the gym was available to them. They could just sleep if they wanted. They could watch TV. Um, and it was a place, it became it became for them a place to gather in community and to, to see the same people on a regular basis and to care about those same people and to share life experiences with them, much like you do with a church family. That's kind of what we created there mm. in St. Luke was our very own church uh, congregation. You talk about the personal relationships and the connections that you're building through the services that you're offering and, and talking to people and letting people know that simply you are there and that you care. Can you tell me a story about one of the friends you served? Oh, yeah, let's see. Okay, let me tell you about um, one of our volunteers. Um, she is someone who has experienced homelessness uh, in a cycle for many, many years. Um, and I met her actually when we were doing our laundry pickup uh, on the road. So I would pick her up and take her to the laundromat. Um, and when we got this space at St. Luke, we would pick we would pick this person up each and every day and she connected in such a way that she actually became one of our steady weekly day-to-day -day volunteers she was there every day running her part of the organization without fail mm. and it's just good to see how someone who is assisted by the ministry immediately wants to give back to the ministry and i've seen that over and over and over it's the relationships and the community 
that is at the foundation of what we do at Sacred Sparks. Can you, I know this may be difficult for you, but can you, can you tell us about the extent of the damage at Sacred Sparks and, and what you all are facing in it as far as any attempts to rebuild? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the rooms that, that Sacred Sparks used was they have a big, big full-size gym. Um, they have a fellowship hall, which is an area where people can sit and eat and watch TV and rest right outside of that gym. And then we had a small office storage area off of the gym. And then upstairs, actually right above that storage office space, was our laundry room where we had a number of washers and dryers connected when we moved in so that we could wash all the clothes for our friends. Um, and it is those... It is those rooms that were the most impacted by this tornado. It blew a hole through the gym. It's just bizarre to go into that gym and to be able to see outside. And it was raining inside that night when we went over there. Um, the walls on the inside where the rooms are, where the laundry room is, all the upstairs walls fell down into the gym. Mm. It's just it's just awful. The ceilings are falling down. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. The, um, the church, um, St. Luke, has already had an insurance adjuster out, and he has indicated this looks like it's going to be at least a six-month at the minimum, possibly like a year project. They're going to have to, to look at the, the metal beams in the gym to see if they were destroyed, uh, and if so, they can, they can, or if they were not, they can rebuild, but if they were, they're going to have to tear everything down and start all over. So it's just devastating to see those rooms that um, had become so important to the people that we serve uh, just be completely destroyed. Yeah, I'm, I apologize. and I'm deeply sorry for that. I'm sure it's really hard for you all who are serving and helping people in those rooms. You know, what do you think the future is? for this space, given, you know, I understand that resources potentially could be a challenge, but you know, you've been working so hard at this. You've been at it for 10 years. You've been helping you, what you said about 25 people per week with the plans before this unfortunate event to help more. What do you want the future of this space and sacred sparks to be? Yeah. And that's actually 25 people per day. So that's 75 mm -hmm. to a hundred people a week. Um, and I'll be honest that we don't know right now what the future holds, but I do believe that there will be a future. I do not believe there was a time uh, on Saturday and early Sunday when I felt like it was the death of the ministry, but I know that's not what has happened. Um, what has happened is, is a disaster that we're going to have to deal with, but I believe that we will find a way to serve our friends in the interim while the building is being repaired. Um, or rebuilt, whatever is decided. And I believe that we have a future still with St. Luke. Um, we are very, we have a very good relationship. They've invited me into their meetings about this situation. And I feel confident that um, if they rebuild or um, repair, that they will invite us back into that space. Now, for a decade now, you've been assisting and helping people. Now you're in the need of help and assistance. How has the community responded to helping out Sacred Sparks? It has been overwhelming, the encouragement and the offers that I've received. And it's really been the only thing that's carried me through my dark hours with this. Mm. 
Excuse me. Now, I understand. And Reverend Lisa, we want to thank you so, so much for being with us, given all the circumstances that you've been through. Now, before I let you go, just tell us, tell everybody listening what you need. Well, um, I would love I would love to ask for your prayers. First of all, that's the first thing that we need. Um, and beyond that, I have um, some information that I could provide to you all uh, websites. The church has a GoFundMe to help pay for their um, insurance deductible. We're looking for some storage space is the first thing that we need to get the things out that were not affected by the storm before they get um, affected by the weather because the gym is open to the weather right now. Mm -hmm. So that is our first need is some storage space and ongoing needs. Um, I can share with you um, a website that will have that. Please do. Please share that website with us. And listeners know that when you go to thisisnashville.org and you look at today's episode post, we will make sure we have that information there. Reverend Lisa from Sacred Sparks, thank you so much for being with us. Good luck to you. Please feel better soon and keep us posted on anything else you need, okay? Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We've got to take one more short break, everyone. When we come back, we'll talk with a member of the Nashville Severe Weather Team and a professor of civil and environmental engineering. We're also going to be opening up the phone line so we can hear from you. You can call us at 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. Or you can tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're discussing the devastating tornadoes that hit our area on Saturday. People in Clarksville, Henderson, and Madison, and other counties were affected. We want to hear from you if you need help, or you know someone who does, or if you are looking to help others, please, please, please give us a call at 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. Now, on Saturday, I was here at Nashville Public Radio when I received the first alert about the incoming tornadoes. The first thing I did was head to YouTube to hear from the folks at Nashville Severe Weather. You can find them online at NashvilleSevereWeather.com. This is a group of community members who volunteer their time to keep people informed about potential storms in the area. Their efforts are massive, and they've become a reliable and valued resource for everyone in Middle Tennessee. And I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Yesterday, This Is Nashville received an email from listener Bryn Sierra, who wrote, wrote, quote, My family and I were actually in the last 20-ish minutes of the Nutcracker at TPAC when everyone fo everyone's phone alarm started going off. After turning off my alarm, I immediately went to find out what the Nashville Severe Weather Team was saying about all this. They are my and so many others' number one go-to for all things severe weather in Middle Tennessee and beyond. I remember when they were just doing Twitter updates with Witty Banter. Now they have got a full website, a live YouTube broadcasting channel during severe weather. Fortunately, they've kept up the Witty Banter. These folks are truly local heroes. I concur. I'd like to welcome back Andrew Leeper from Nashville Severe Weather to This Is Nashville. Andrew, thank you so much for being here again. Well, thank you for having me. Really appreciate this, man. Everything that you all do really is a, a service to the people here of the city and the region. You know, you guys like mainly the only people we know to go to 
for <laughs> storm coverage. It's it's what I was told when I first moved into town. If something happens, you go immediately. Then you guys had a really active Twitter account. Twitter has gone through its changes. I'm so glad to see it that is. you all have a website that people can go to now. You know, tell me, like, what type of responses have you received from the community after Saturday storms? Many of the responses have been people with very kind words, um, and, and that's that's always so good to hear from people that are um, that are watching and listening and, and hearing. And basically, what that means to us is, first of all, we thank you for those words, but also it means that people are staying in touch with changing weather conditions. That's important to us. We want people to not be disconnected. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons we do this, a major reason we do this, is so people will be will be connected and have a way and have access to important, potentially life-saving weather information. And that that means a lot to us that people are interested in, in getting that information. How many people are on the team at Nashville Severe Weather? Well, we have we have four of us that are that are on uh, most of the time. We all sort of have a different role. I work mostly with the YouTube side of it, and uh, we have a guy uh, who runs our Instagram. His name is Graham, by the way. Okay, uh, that works. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then uh, we have uh, uh, David, and we have Will, and and we all sort of have our different role uh, that we play in the uh, the organization and and then the communication strategy there. You all are volunteering, right? Correct. Uh, yes, we we all have we all have uh, day jobs, as we say. So yeah. um, we we do this as something extra that we that we feel. I I, I love what uh, Reverend Lisa said. Uh, we we sort of feel a, a calling to this. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's very very clear. Now, something I'm curious about: weather alerts, extreme weather alerts happen. Nashville Weather Service, the National Weather Service, will give us alerts. But you guys kind of get that information as well. So many people, including myself, we go to you first to find out what's happening and what we should do. How exactly do you know what's going on? Like, like what type of technology are you all using? Well, an important thing to us is to stay ahead of of situations like we had on, um, you know, the, this this past weekend and. And part of that is, hey, always having an eye back to the west. We don't, we don't want to be, or whichever direction the storms are coming from. We don't want to be uh, caught off guard like anybody else. We want to, uh, you know, we don't want to be anybody else caught off guard. So we want to be ahead of it, and and uh, and so we use our radar software that we have, and uh, we have, uh, we're, we're we're constantly watching what the National Weather Service is saying, um, and and they're well out ahead of it as well. So. Uh, we, we use a combination of resources to to make sure that by the time it gets here, we have been have been well warned and we are well aware of the potential dangers that we face. Have you always been into watching the weather? You know, it goes back a long time for me, and really for all four of us on the team, it goes back a, a, a long ways. And and uh, uh, and even we have a we have a fifth guy, by the way, who writes our blogs. He's a meteorology student down at okay. Mississippi State. And even for him, uh, it goes back a long way. And uh, I believe for me and even a couple of the other guys, you know, you think back, if you've been around Nashville a while, uh, you remember the 1998 tornado that struck Nashville uh, right in the middle of downtown. A big, out, big outbreak that day, April 16th of 98. And I think for a few of us, that was sort of the point where we really became interested in how this all works. Mm, interesting, you know, because this work that you do is very, very deeply personal. I want to hear a clip from Saturday evening. All right, new radar scan should come in here in just a second on velocities. Clearly a strong tornado. It appears to be appears to be traveling right on Gallatin Road or very close to it. Here's our new uh, velocity scan. 
looks like maybe just north of Gallatin Road. Ah, goodness. I have friends up this way. Tell me, Andrew, are you, were your friends okay? Yes. Um, friends were fine. Um, uh, they had damage very, very close to them. But, you know, there's just those moments, um, you know, you, you spend time looking at a computer screen and you're trying to interpret every radar scan, every word from the weather service. You're trying to take in so much information and compile that and deliver that in a way that's understandable. And then all of a sudden you just realize, wait a minute, I, I, I know somebody up there. And, and so your, your, your mind briefly just goes into the, the human impact of this mm-hmm. and what could happen over the next few minutes. And, and, and in a way you feel a little bit helpless because I, I want to just you know, pick up the phone and call them. Um, but I know that there's, there's, there's so little time to, to call everybody that we know, and we just hope that they're, they're aware of the situation. You know, yesterday I was talking to someone about the services that you all provide, and they mentioned a moment, I believe it was you, a couple years ago, where you kind of you were broadcasting YouTube and Twitter, and you stopped and said, I'm going to go wake up my family. Mm. That's when they, it, it really hit home for them, and the gravity of the situation hit home, and they stopped, and, but they were so moved by that. Again, you and four other people are volunteering to give us all this information. Um, but you and your family could potentially be in danger from these storms. Talk to me about why you all serve in this form. Well, I think it all goes back to um, sort of the way Nashville severe weather started. And that started uh, when my friend David, you know, he, he wanted a way where he could respond to his friends that were just asking him general weather questions and wanting to know about their soccer games and wanting to know about, uh, the, you know, the, 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 just the, the, the nuts and bolts of people's schedules and how weather was going to affect that. And, um, and, and it really has still taken that form where we feel like we're talking to friends mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it, it still feels a lot of the same way. So uh, we in our in our back and forth on Twitter or on, on X or YouTube or wherever it is, um, we, we, we feel the human element because it's a two way conversation. We're giving out information, but we're hearing from people. And uh, and that really drives us. Um, we're not we're not talking to a wall. We're talking to people, as, as we've heard on this show, real people that have you know, that are barely hanging on in the best of days and mm-hmm. and something in 15 seconds can change their life uh, pretty significantly. Yeah. You're talking to people and friends. We also want to talk to you. So don't forget, we have opened up the phone lines. You can call us at 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. Now, there's tens of thousands of people who were without power over the weekend. NES is holding a press conference shortly to give an update on their power recovery efforts. I do know certain parts of Madison have gotten received power again. Now, our infrastructure is highly susceptible to power outages when extreme weather conditions happen. My next guest studies this and its impacts. I'd like to welcome Janie Camp. She's a research professor of civil and environmental engineering and the director at the Vanderbilt Center for Transportation and Operational Resiliency. Janie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I'm so glad you all are having a conversation about in the, the tornadoes today and the aftermath. Yes, it, it, it's, it's our duty to do that. That's what we aim to do here at This Is Nashville. But let me ask you first off, are you and your family okay? Were you all affected by the storm at all? 
Um, yes. Um, thankfully, my family and I are okay. We actually had friends over that sheltered with us, um, and we were tracking Nashville severe weather uh, throughout. Um, I've got a few friends that were impacted only by power outages, but um, otherwise, everyone I'm connected to seems to be okay. All Thank right. You. That's really good to hear. Now, can you tell us briefly a little bit more about the work you do when you're studying our infrastructure systems and its vulnerabilities? Right, um, so a lot of the work that we do is focused on helping um, public agencies and leadership um, prepare for the future, um, anticipate um, potential disruptive, disruptive events that may be caused by extreme weather um, and or climate change. Um, and so we tap into data um, a little bit differently than what Andrew and them do. Theirs is more real time. Ours is looking more at the future, also looking at historic events and trends and using geographic information systems and other models and tools to estimate where infrastructure may be at risk. Um, moving into the future. And then we use that as well as maps and charts and information to um, help communicate. Here are, you know, different infrastructure assets that we might need to start looking at um, and um, considering options for adaptation and resilience for communities. Um, and that can take on different forms. A lot of my work is focused on the water and transportation sector, but we've also been looking some at the energy grid. Now, I want to ask about this, you know, because we're going to continue to get hit with extreme weather, be it a tornado or a flood or something different as climate change continues to impact the region. How can right. our infrastructure system here in the Nashville area, how can it be improved so that power stays on or is less affected in the next during the next devastating weather pattern? Right. Um, so we're starting to see more extreme weather events hit the Nashville area. We've had significant flooding, tornadoes, extreme cold. We've had droughts, um, some extreme heat of late. So these things are not going away, as you mentioned. Um, so there's different, you know, opportunities. Um, nothing happens for free. So there's cost in weighing the, you know, balance of what it costs to harden infrastructure, put in um, redundancies, um, alternate routes and alternate sources of power and things like that. They all have a cost. Um, so there are some things that have happened um, in the past few years when we had the flood in 2010. Metro Water Services has built a large generator um, facility that allows them to continue to provide water supplies throughout our community if there are power outages. Um, other utilities could do similarly. Um, we're in an area where it's challenging to think about moving power lines to, you know, below ground because of the bedrock and those things. So having alternate power sources, backup generators um, and things like that could help alleviate some of the challenges, medical facilities and critical facilities, um, such as water treatment plants, communication systems um, and others could have secondary power 
um, to use so that there's minimal impacts of disruption. Um, and households can even work to have alternate sources of power and um, backup systems, ways to get information. Um, you can buy a household generator for, you know, $1,000 or more or less, depending on what you want to do. Um, that could help alleviate some of the challenges. Um, I know in a prior house, myself had um, a generator, but then also had natural gas, which provide heat, which is an option for some, but not everyone um, when we're facing the extreme cold um, and the power outages, like we're seeing those that have natural gas for heat mm -hmm. actually um, are not faring the cold houses, but they're also dealing with lights out and other issues associated with the power outages. Okay. Uh, I, I know that $1,000 for a generator is some money, but hey, if any state legislators are listening, a suggestion <laughs> from this host right here is perhaps give people a little bit of a tax break for buying generators for their house in case there is another power outage or extreme weather. You know, NES workers are out there working long hours and all kinds of weather and a lot of people are upset with them right now, but they are working their hardest to restore power in areas that have been affected. How can we best support their work, Janie? So I think I've started being a proponent of um, individual resilience, and I've done multiple talks on this subject in the past. No, everyone cannot afford to have their own generator at their house and you know things like that but to the extent that we can be better prepared as individuals it alleviates some of the stress on the systems and um for and the resources so um like the reverend cook was talking about you know they've been a resource for many in the community well you know they're in need of help now. And some of the shelters that were discussed earlier um, in Clarksville, those of us that have systems in place and the resources to be independently self-sufficient and resilient during times of times of disruption can um, leave those like public resources and sheltering locations for those that need it most. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about. I think right now, just being aware and patient and giving each other some grace as we're going through this and those of us that can help and, you know, helping through, you know, specific organizations like the Red Cross and others, Hands on Nashville, um, it's great to want to show up to some of these areas that have been hit hard with, you know, 24 packs of water and food and grills and those things. But there's also a need for coordinated efforts um, so that you don't become part of the problem and people don't think you're there in need of help when you truly are not. Um, so I think just Mineral Tennessee's got a great history of pulling together. Um, and helping each other in a volunteer spirit. But I think right now we need some patience and some grace and work through those designated organizations as possible. And, you know, someone said years ago, um, 
don't let a good disaster go to waste. And maybe this is a wake up call for those of us that weren't hit hard to be better prepared next time, be aware, mm-hmm. um, have, you know, water and, you know, be watching national severe weather and other um, news outlets for warnings and, you know, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Those warnings. That's right. Yes. That's right. Okay. So Andy, Andy Leeper from Nashville Severe, Severe Weather is still with us. You know, Janie was talking about consideration and grace for each other. You know, did you get any comments from victims of the tornadoes about that, what they've seen? You know, one thing that was interesting, I, I did see a tweet uh, that actually from from someone that, that follows us and has for quite a while, and, and I recognized her name. And um, uh, she lives over in Madison, and uh, she she actually made this observation. She said there are lots of folks, and her house was affected. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says lots of folks driving around and filming while we stand on our lawn to survey the damage. It's not a very good feeling. Mm. And so maybe part of this also in giving grace to our neighbors is, uh, you know, all of their belongings right now are strewn across their yard that's normally inside the walls of their home. And uh, and maybe some of that grace that we give is not to go by and film all of it today. Yeah, I understand that. I was driving through Madison and saw the same thing. An instinct, you know, working with Nashville Public Radio and connected to WPLN News. Instinct was to pull out my phone and to take pictures. I took two and then I pulled it back. It felt gratuitous to me and I pulled it back. So I'm trying to extend that grace. I really want to thank you both for being here on the show. Real quick before we go, Andrew, I have to ask you this question. When I moved here, I was warned that April was the time to look out for tornadoes. It's December. What's going on? I heard somebody say that December seems to be the new April here in uh, Middle Tennessee. And uh, yeah, I mean, some of, you know, I believe just a, a day or two after the, the tornado hit here in Nashville a couple days ago uh, was the anniversary of the Mayfield, Kentucky tornado. So wow. we, we, we have to expect that we can see severe weather in December as well. Okay, my guests, I want to thank you both so much for being with us. Andrew Leeper with Nashville Severe Weather and Janie Camp, Research Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Vanderbilt University. Thank you both again for being with us. And we also, before we go, we want to express our deepest condolences to the family of Titans legend Frank Wycheck, who passed away yesterday at the age of 52. We'll be talking about him and his life a little bit later this week. And thank you for tuning in to this hour of Nashville Public Radio, of this is Nashville. Sorry. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. Live tweeting was handled by Elizabeth Burton. Catherine Cece's was on the phone, but nobody called. Next time, let Catherine talk to you. We have information that you need. The masterminds behind our theme musical, LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to the WPLN Newsroom and Marissa Shapiro. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcast. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at Nashville. Find us on Instagram. Tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good with each other.